All right. Happy Friday. By the way, I always love when that countdown's rolling down because I can see the guests. So you see people you know, kind of <laughs> in that. I do the same thing, so I can't I can't fault anybody more. But anyway, we are back with another episode of Learning Tech Talks, exploring the landscape of learning tech, cutting through the flop. And today is going to be all about skills, but in a little bit of a different way than usual. We're not necessarily talking just about the tech. We're talking about the data behind the skills. We've got a lot of different direction this is going to go. So we want this to be an interactive one. So be sure to ask questions along the way, although we have a pretty rock and flow that, that we've got planned here. So I think you're going to get benefit from this no matter what you do. But before we get started, we always got to open up with some fun. So with that, and everyone can play along. So if you're watching, whether YouTube, wherever you are, you can play along. Comment in and tell us where you're joining from. We're going to do this. We're going to go clockwise this time. So Sarah, why don't you start us up? Okay. With you today. With what? I'm sorry. Where are you? Where are oh. you? <laughs> not here, clearly. Not okay. here. I'm not here. <laughs> yeah, Lord. Um, I'm in Boulder, Colorado. Boulder, Colorado. Okay. All right. All right. Well, that was a very, you know, straightforward answer. So Boulder, Colorado. Is it nice? I'm gonna ask a follow-up question. Excellent. Um, it is getting nice. We got three and a half and three and a half feet of snow over the weekend. Oh. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I, we're digging out, which is great. So yeah, getting there. You know, that's the great thing about Colorado, though. The sun. Just it's when like, you think spring's coming, then it's yeah. like, you know what? Here's three feet of snow. Not yet. Not, Not yet. yet. Okay. Well, fun fact for you. What is the snowiest month in Colorado on in history on average? March. April. 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 What? Well, the best is yet to come, my friend. Oh, the best is yet to come. All right. All right. You got to see the photo of Sarah pushing the snow thrower. <laughs> <laughs> True. It's as tall as I am. It was you know what? I, if I had it, I would bring it up on screen. But <laughs> all right. Well, anyway. All right. So continuing on, Todd, how about you? Are you buried in snow too? Not anymore. Uh, Not I'm anymore. in the suburbs of New York in New Jersey, uh, okay. about 15, 20 miles outside of the city. Okay. All right. Uh, so is in it's it's all right. So your your snow's gone. Hopefully not. <laughs> hopefully April will not be the snowiest month for you. So now just the rainiest. Um, just the rainiest. It's gray outside, but it is warming up. The weekend's supposed to be nice. Okay. All right. Well, I'm in Waukesha where I always am. It's supposed to be nice. We 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 got warm. It was in the 60s. Then we got snow. Then it was really cold. Now it's starting to warm back up. The snow's gone. I hope this is the last of it. So um, that's where that's where we are here. All right. So anyway, let's let's transition to our next one, which again has nothing to do with skills, although it kind of does. It might. We'll see where we go with this. But I'm going to reverse the order. So Todd, you get to start it up, and everybody who's watching, you also can comment in on this. But Todd, what is a healthy food you enjoy? And we didn't define healthy. So I'm curious where you go with this and an unhealthy food you can't resist. I actually really enjoy cucumbers um, for healthy foods. Ew, what? Just plain? <laughs> no, not plain, but like with a little bit of vinegar, like the Japanese pickles or uh, any okay, kind I thought of you were going to say like dipped in ranch. And then I was like, <laughs> well, that, I don't know that that would qualify. Just healthy. Um, but they're also great for mixing into cocktails um, okay. to make, they make everything healthier. <laughs> do you like cucumber water? I have to ask that. I do. Uh, it's, do. it's better if it's embellished with like watermelon stuff. or something also, but I do like it. See, watermelon's at least a little bit sweet, a little bit sweet. Cucumber water. All right. All right. Well, let's see. Hang on. We're, we're just on the healthy. All right. So what's the unhealthy one that you could not, you could not keep your hands out of? I have a really hard time keeping my fingers off of fried chicken, uh, <laughs> chocolate pudding. It's, uh, there's a lot. Of You're just like listing. I said one. Todd's like, well, there's fried chicken, chocolate pudding. Okay. Anything the else? The pandemic has been hard for Todd. <laughs> you don't build a body like this with cucumbers. <laughs> There. This is a chocolate pudding and fried chicken <laughs> kind of frame right here. Okay. All right. <laughs> Sarah, you're up. How oh about God. your how about your healthy food you enjoy and unhealthy one you can't resist? You you opened with my comment as well. What what defines healthy? Because I love fruit, but I feel like that one teeters. Um, I really like broccoli. Broccoli. Yeah. And especially like in a cast iron skillet with a little bit of olive oil. Yeah. Okay. 
No, that's fair. That's mm-hmm. fair. All right. All right. Okay. I got it. I got it. I can, I can go with that. I I could go for a plate of, of broccoli, even microwaved broccoli. I, I like broccoli in general. I do too. I don't know what that's about. I didn't always, but I'm into it. Okay. All right. All right. So how about the unhealthy one? French bread, especially hot French bread turns me into an animal. French bread. Okay. Like a baguette, like, like a nice kind of tough, but soft no, type. No, no. Like no. where it's like almost still doughy, a little bit like thicker around and the inside is just like super soft. You heat that for like, just throw it in the oven for like two or okay. three minutes and it's like crispy on the outside and soft yep, on the yep, inside. Yep. Oh my God. Obscene. Okay. okay. Oh man. Now I'm getting hungry. All right. <laughs> so, do you put anything on it or would it just be like, you know what? I'm just going to eat the whole loaf. I did. No. I, I mean, I would eat the whole loaf regular, but there's nothing that butter doesn't belong on. That's so true. We I'm have okay a saying here, butter makes everything better. That's a thing in our house. So Second. <laughs> we shouldn't have done this. I haven't eaten yet today. I'm going to be <laughs> I know starving. my stomach is growling. I know. Um, so, all right. So for mine, on a healthy one, right, I'm not going the vegetable route or anything, although I do like vegetables. But chicken, like I love chicken. I could eat chicken. People are like, don't you ever get Mm. sick of that? Nope, I do not. I could have chicken three meals a day. I would never get tired of it. Doesn't need to be breaded or anything like that. Just even if it was just plain, just on a George Foreman grill, that would be totally fine. So I'm going to go with that for healthy. The unhealthy one, almond M&Ms. If those are anywhere in eyeshot, I cannot not eat them. And I cannot stop. I'll even, I'll even be going like, that's enough. I think that's enough. I don't need it. You know what? One more handful's okay. One Wait, more is it the that, almond, the M&M, the combination? The combination. And okay. it, it, people are like, oh, you like chocolate covered almonds? Eh, they're okay. Almond M&Ms? Interesting. Watch out. Get out of my way. Do not stand in front of that bowl or okay. you're getting knocked over. So, Okay. <laughs> All right. Anyway, this has nothing to do with skills, but it's always, in my opinion, one of the best and most entertaining parts of the show. So let's transition over to the skills side of things. Uh, And so you all are coming from Degreed, which skills has been your jam for for some time now. But let's let's talk a little bit about this. So why with this? And I'm curious your thoughts on this, because everybody's talking about skills. Everybody's got skills. Skills is in about every single post that I, yes. <laughs> yes, it's everywhere. But I don't necessarily know, and we'll, we'll cover both of these. I don't necessarily always know that there's a real context around what do we mean by that. But even further back from that, why is that so important? So let's let's start with the Let's start with the, what do we mean by that? Like, let's actually start with that because I think that'll naturally transition to the, why does that matter? So when when Degreed's talking about skills or when you're talking about skills or you release your skills report, how are you defining that when you have a conversation with somebody? We debate this a lot um, internally. Like we've, Sarah <laughs> and I have both watched fights that end up in somebody crying over this. I mean, like actual Literally. strong debates about what is a skill. Um, but I think very simply, it's heated. What, wow, yeah, yeah. Right. it's heated. But I think the common denominator for most of these conversations, the one that ends in everybody shaking hands and going their separate ways, okay. is it's things you can do or things people can do, activities people can do. Okay. Um, and it's closely related to a bunch of other concepts like competencies and behaviors and knowledge and you know all and, and characteristics and traits, all of this fun stuff that you get taught in uh, in psychology classes and things like that but um, hr 101 <laughs> yeah but we try to make it as simple as possible for us it's about things people can do mm-hmm. okay okay well i and i and i like that answer to it because i th- i think sometimes we overcomplicate it or it's used synonymously with competencies or frameworks and thing and then and then it gets difficult because then you go well how do you measure a skill and you're like well we're not we're now talking about a multifaceted con- there's there's tons of skills in there or skills, if I'm hearing you right, and this is how I would agree with kind of the definition is, you're really going beneath the surface saying, what is it that somebody can do? Now that Mm -hmm. sometimes you're doing multiple things that then make up a competency, but the skills is at the core, the the baseline level of tangibly, what is it that people can do? Fair? We think so. All right, well, I'll take the head nods as a yes. If anybody disagrees, you can disagree in the comment if you have other thoughts on how you would define it. But okay, so if we're talking about this, all right, Todd can do 
He can ride a bike. Not a lot. He can make. He, he cannot <laughs> ride a bike. Based on our conversation a little bit earlier, he can make a cocktail though, right? A good he can one. Make a cocktail, a good cocktail. So there's a skill. Any pina colada for any of you that have dinner at <laughs> Bob's house. Any pina coladas. Yes, yes. Now we're getting. Now we're getting really granular in the skills on this. So he can make <laughs> a skinny pina colada. Mm-hmm. Why does that matter? Because again, everybody's talking about it. It's on every executive I know's priority list in some degree, wherever it sits, but it's usually towards the top. Why is it such a big deal caring why, what can people do? I think the answer to that depends on who's answering the question. Okay. Right? There's, Give me some examples. Yeah, there's, there's three or four kind of main stakeholder groups that we sort of think about this um, it, it, to put it into context. One is the individual, right? Skills matter to me because it's how I perform on my job. Um, if I don't have the right skills, I can't get things done. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll get into that in the, the research as well a little bit. Um, they matter to team managers because you need to put together people with complementary skills so that you can get work done through teams. Okay. They matter to HR because HR is, um, at least in a sort of more evolved uh, mindset, is responsible for managing the human capital of an organization. Uh, And what we're seeing, and actually there's some Gartner statistic that says something like half of CHROs say that not having the right skills is the number one barrier to workforce transformation. Mm -hmm. Right. So you literally cannot change the way your business operates if you don't change the way that people operate. Yeah. And skills are a big component of that. Which then loops into are the stakeholders of the business yeah. execs who are like, well, okay, we can't get our business done. We can't accomplish this stuff if we don't have this. Yeah. And that's the last one, right? And oh, okay, you were going there. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> well, so, like everybody looks at the uh, PwC puts out this big CEO survey every year. Yeah. And they ask a question in there. And one of the, the, the stats that you see everybody talking about in the industry is that. I think it's like 77 or 80% of CEOs say that not having the right skills is a barrier to growth, right? So it's the language that they're using to describe the output of learning, development, talent management. Um, But what's interesting is there's a follow-up question in their survey that most people sort of gloss over, which is, what is the impact of not having the right skills? And what the CEOs said in the survey is, it's um, missing uh, growth opportunities. It's not being able to respond to changes in innovation, customer satisfaction, innovation, customer satisfaction, quality, right? It's the outcome of all of the things I said, if you can't do your job, you don't have the right people to get work done at the team level, at the organizational level, Mm -hmm. you know, that's why we're all here. Okay. So for me, Chris, it's just to add on to that quickly for me, it's the power of what the skill data can tell you. Like, yes, to Todd's point, there is a variable for depending on who's asking the question, but there is power in understanding what skills can do for your organization. We talk about it often at Degreed right now in terms of supply and demand of skills, what your team is capable of, what your organization is therefore capable of. And then also, I think we're going to start to see it more in terms of diversity as well, because when you look at someone as a collection of skills versus a history of job titles, all of a sudden you are proverbially opening or stepping outside your neighborhood, both in the people you hire, but also, you know, not seeing any of those biases that might impact your decisions for promotions, for hiring, all of that stuff. Okay. Okay. Well, and yeah, (laughs) there, we, we, we mentioned this, that this is (laughs) one of the things where we have such an opportunity right now, as we have more and more of this data that, we didn't have before, or it was very loosely, you know, very, very vague in here. But I think now that we have this, it is a massive opportunity. I think it's a massive, and that's why we wanted to hit on this first was the fact that there's, I think we're still as an industry, and this is my follow-up question to this, but I think as an industry, we're still grasping with the magnitude of what we can do with this. There's, there's a general sense that this is important. It's helpful. We can, we can, and where I see it go sometimes south is where it's like, yeah, this will help us prioritize our training. Yeah, that's that's definitely something we can do with it, but that is one sliver of the full potential. So I guess one question I have, because you work with people from all over the globe on this, how aware do you see the industry organizations being in understanding 
that this is a huge priority? Is there is there a keen awareness? Do people already know how important it is and what they need so that they're looking for it? Or is there still just kind of this semblance of, mm, we, we know it's important. We know this skill thing is an issue. We just don't really know what to do about it yet. It's a spectrum. I I mean, being very honest, it's a spectrum. We have clients that are using it, that are using it to make business level decisions. And then we have other people that are still trying to understand where does it come from and what's the value in it. But I think COVID and the pandemic pushed us ahead quickly. I think, you know, maybe 16 months ago now, we thought we had five years to understand what skills could do for us and that we needed to kind of start having a better understanding of skills. But at the beginning of the COVID crisis, we had a strong percentage of clients that came to us and needed skill data for redeployment. Their very first question, especially for the larger strategic organizations was, hey, listen, we need to quickly redeploy talent. Um, And I'll use a financial example. We've had to shut down our branches, but we now have this surplus of people that are good at customer service. How can we quickly upskill and train them so that they could then be call center support because call center numbers are up while the retail is down. So, they could only do that with a skill supply and right. demand and understanding what skills were present in their org. So all of a sudden to be able to redeploy talent quickly, which was a big piece of this, right? When we think about the COVID struggles that many organizations had was we still have businesses that need to be run and jobs that need to get done. Who at this organization can do it? Yeah. Well, and and that's, that's such a good example of highlighting like one use case for how this can happen. And I was, I was helping an organization through this similar last year where it was a similar situation where without this data, what would have happened is they would have riffed a huge chunk of the organization. All that intellectual capital would have gone out the door. They would have spent all this money on severances, all this stuff to get rid of these individuals damaging their brand. And then they would have had to open new recs for all these other people and hired a bunch of external people to fill these gaps and things like that. And it would have it would have been just a massive, massive waste of money, time, effort, talent, all this good stuff. But because they had the skills data, they were able to identify what are the core things. Hey, turns out 80% of what this group of people over here did translates perfectly to this. We can we can upskill. See there, hey, well, let's throw another buzzword out there. We can upskill that ten or fifteen percent that they're missing, and and fill the gap. And I think that's one of those areas where you can do it. I think the other one that came up when we were chatting before is, I can see where twenty twenty accelerated this big time, <laughs> because if there were skill gaps in your organization, you found them real quick in twenty twenty, and. And not only did you find those gaps, but the skills required to operate in a virtual environment. I mean, you you were sharing the fact degree's been virtual forever, but for a lot of orgs, they weren't. And so the skill set required to operate in that was quickly exposed that, hey, guess what? I think a lot of people weren't really ready for this, but now what do we do about it? We don't know what those skills are, who is performing really well, what is actually making them perform well, because we can't go hire 500 of this person, we need to know what makes that person tick. But also think about how we need to support people right now. It's not one size does not fit all or even most. So regardless of the remote environment, right. And you made the point earlier about, yeah, this will inform training. And I think a piece of that is right though, in terms of personalization, when you know what someone is capable of, where they're strong, where they're weak, we're exhausted. The last thing any employee wants to hear right now is by the way, spend that 10 minutes that you need to be being a parent or a partner or picking someone up or whatever it might be. What can you do to make that time more effective? You want to be working on a skill that actually means something that has impact that is tied to something that gives it meaning and value without skill data. You don't know what that is, right? Like, yes, everyone could be project management. That's one of the things I loved about the degreed state of skills is it looked by job, by country and by industry of the most popular skills because when we look about growth and you know how can you preserve yourself right now right completely self preservation it's being a well-rounded person and when you think about fitting in upskilling it's an eye roll nobody has time to do that right now so how can you do it is make the most time be the most efficient with the skills that you need in your job and as a human for right now that's fair. Well, and, and that's where I didn't want to downplay that there's no value. So it's a good right. clarification because it's not a downplay that that doesn't matter. And one of the things you hit on with that is 
I think sometimes it's easy to focus on this upskilling and the what's in it for the organization. And we gloss over the fact that it's like, what's in it for your workforce? Because this stuff does matter to them. It really does matter to them. They're time stretched. People don't like not being effective or good at what they're doing or not happy in a role. Like nobody likes that. They want to do something different with it. But to your point, they don't have time to sit in a beanbag chair with a hookah, you know, and just kind of like <laughs> hang out and and just skill up in whatever. It's like, well, no, I right. want to do something that's going to have an impact, that's going to get me where I want to go or make me more satisfied in my job. Help me figure that out. I so know I'm not wasting time. Go ahead. Tom. I know, Christopher, we're here to talk about the state of skills research that we did, but we have an older piece of research from a couple of years ago called How the Workforce Learns. And one of the questions that we asked in there was about what would make your learning and development opportunities more useful. And we asked about a whole bunch of things. But the thing that we hear a lot from our customers and from potential customers is, you know, we're looking for ways to engage people. So what can you tell us about badges and things like that? And they're looking for, you know, and, and gamification and game mechanics, right? And th those things are fine. They, they, they help to drive engagement. But by like something like six to one, people said, help us figure out where our gaps are and what mm -hmm. we should be focusing on next. Yep. Um, they want to know how to focus their time and energy so that they will continue to add value in their jobs and be relevant for new opportunities. And it's really that simple. The I top two were learning aligned to skill gaps and understanding what those skill gaps were. And by the way, we haven't done this research in 18 months. That was pre-pandemic that we got those responses from what people wanted. But when we look at that data in terms of, um, we asked like the net promoter score question as well. And so we look at the promoters versus the detractors and there's something like a 15 or 20 point differential in the promoters versus the detractors hmm. uh, in that. So like it tells us that there's a, a if, you know, if you wanna have a positive learning experience, there is a big, big benefit to having that sort of guidance built in okay. um, so that people know where to go next, right? And that can come from technology. It can come from teams. It can come from managers. It can come from HR. But the point is, it's not as simple as just saying, you know, go learn what you need to learn. <laughs> people need some focus. Take, take 20 minutes and learn something every day. Well, and I think this is one of the challenges as practitioners we face, or, or you'll hear it in the practitioner space, is that you always hear the, well, people say they don't have time. And honestly, every industry report I read, one of the top challenges people say they have is they don't have time to develop. The thing with that is, though, is when you take that into account and you scratch beneath the surface of that, people all have the same 24 hours a day. They just have mm -hmm. to prioritize it. And I think that's where sometimes we've missed the mark is we've said, well, we really want you to develop but we aren't really giving you any guidance on what to develop on, or we're telling you what we want you to develop on instead of showing you what you actually need to develop on. So then it does feel like, yeah, I'd love to do some of this stuff, but I don't have time because I've seen it. When you get it right, people find time for it. I mean, they will make the time for it when you're actually personalizing that and saying, here's where you need to go. Here's the resources to get you there. People, yeah. people do make that happen. I don't want to go off on my soapbox, but you would, because uh, we're here to talk about skills, but um, we hear that all the time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, yes, nobody has a whole lot of extra time, right? But it, it, people have to prioritize. But the thing that I think everybody glosses over in that comment is the fact that we also are learning all of the time mm -hmm. through the work that we're doing. And there are easy, simple, low to no cost ways of shaping the work experience that people have and providing support so that we can extract learning from the work that we're doing. You know, a really simple, silly example is um, one of the people on Sarah's team wanted to get better at search optimization. Yeah. And so rather than go and send her off to a, a bunch of classes, we hired an agency to do an audit and show us what we were doing wrong and what we could be doing better. And she learned more in six weeks working with them from them, getting feedback from them than she would have learned in a year taking classes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, also, though, it's a mindset shift, Todd. I think this is one of the places that L&D and HR get so caught up. We think that if you're not sitting in a classroom, not taking an online course, yeah. you're not learning. But that is just so false. You can, you know, we have to think a little bit differently to your point, Todd, that learning is happening all the time. Reading an article, listening to a podcast, being here with us today, right? Like 
peer-to-peer interactions. Those are all learning opportunities and we need to redefine what it means to learn. Yeah. Well, that's, that's one of my reasons why when I hear, Hey, we need to build a learning culture. I I cringe a little bit because I'm Mm -hmm. going, you, you have one. It might not be exactly what you think, or it may not be in the nice box that you're defining it because not everybody's sitting around, you know, watching videos during their breaks. But that doesn't mean that people aren't learning. It just means you might exactly. need to focus it or you might need to, to, to your point, make some minor tweaks to things because they are learning. You just need them to be learning the right things and help them focus that attention. So that that could be a discussion for, for something else. But I think to the point and, and you know, one of the, they brought up the point here. One of the people commented in is the fact that we just can't take like, well, people don't have time as mm-hmm as just at face value, we got to peel that back and go, well, wh- why is that? Is it, mm-hmm. you know, what the, and I've been having a ton of recent conversations with some of the workforce here now. And that's one of the biggest questions. Well, when you say you're strapped for time, why is that? You know, and sometimes it's not just us that has to make that delineation in what is development. The workforce does too. Yes. Because a lot of times they're like, well, I don't have time to take a class. That's fine. That might be just okay. And and we can, as L&D practitioners, figure out how do we better accelerate that in the flow of work? See, I'm all about throwing these buzzwords in here, right? You know, how do we do that? But that should be easier than, you know, completely transforming everything you're doing. But we okay. also got to give it meaning. Like you can't just tell somebody to go learn. I mean, I'm not taking time to do that. Let's be honest. But when there is that, we saw same report I was talking about how the workforce learns. We saw that some of the barriers include rewards and recognition, but that the manager doesn't support it. And so there's got to be, and I think that's to tie it back to skill data. One of the reasons skill data is so important is because understanding what you're capable of and putting a a carrot, essentially, if you will, at the end gives that skill development and taking the time meaning. And it could be different for anything, right? Think about Maslow's hierarchy. It could be a promotion. It could be moving on to help people. It could be a new job. It could be a new project whatever it might be, but there's got to be a reason to do it. I believe super much an in intrinsic value to give people a reason to take the time. Why would you do it if there's no encouragement or reason to do so? I mean, I don't think you would. I know there are some people that learn because they enjoy it, but, but that, by but and large. That's still their intrinsic thing. And I think that's right. where the personalized nature of this is very unique. And oftentimes we make you know assumptions that it's like, well, we just need people to develop to get promoted. Well, some people don't care about that. And so right. if that's your bandwagon that, well, development is about the next move and people go, I really love what I do. Then they feel like, well, then I guess I don't need to develop. And the answer is no, we need to figure out what's at the core of that, which yes. to your point of the skills data, we can start to see what are the things that make people tick. And the thing that we talked about before is the fact, sometimes that may mean being willing to let go of hey, you can only develop on the things that are directly related to the job that you're in right now and saying, you know what, you're an individual. We need to invest in what are the things that matter to you most. And that will come back to your job in some way or the other, whether it's satisfaction, whether it's engagement, or you might be able to think outside the box and apply something. I've had some people on teams in the past where they were just interested in digital marketing. And let me tell you, it had a pretty positive impact on the work that we were doing in learning and development. When at first glance, you would have looked at it and gone, that's not related, you're a you know, blah, blah, blah. You don't need to be developing on that right now unless you wanna to move yep. to marketing. So connect. let's connect a couple of dots here, Christopher. Yeah. Um, you talked before about how without having any visibility into sort of workforce capabilities, companies would historically go and do a massive reduction in force when there's a change in demand, right, suddenly. And those kinds of things happen all the time, I think, the stat that I saw was like the average company goes through something like five sort of major reorganizations every couple of years. Um, so that happens all the time. And companies have made a habit of sort of getting rid of people and starting over. Yes. Um, back to the research, though, individuals are telling us they want to have better insight onto what their skill gaps are and where they should be focusing so that they can be relevant for the opportunities inside their organizations. But at the same time, they're telling us that they're not getting that guidance from their managers and they're not getting it from their HR and L&D organizations. And so if you think about the workforce as an asset, right, that needs to be managed to achieve organizational aims, there's a whole sort of um, 
lack of visibility along that supply chain or value chain, you can't uh, steer your business without also steering your workforce. And I think that's where this data is really valuable. And it's only become really sort of visible to people how valuable this data is over the last couple of years as part of this conversation that's really bubbled up. Okay. You want to see it at the table? This is your time. Right. Like we hear that all the time. How does learning HR, L&D earn that proverbial seat at the table? I think, you know, Chris, we've talked about it. We've talked about it. Degreed. Like this is your chance. Is like your people job. are finally being seen and skills to your point. It's everywhere. This is one of the things that all of a sudden now you can help move your business forward because the people inside it are the ones that are going to drive those business initiatives forward. And you have the data in your hands because HRL and D now is being looked at to solve the upscaling crisis. Yep. Well, and the thing with that is you know, no matter what we do with automation, no matter what happens with technology, at the end of the day, the businesses are still running on people. And I think mm -hmm. to your point of that's why this is the key to your seat at the table is the fact that it's like, it doesn't matter what kind of machines, equipment, how advanced AI gets, people are still in the mix. And that is the rudder of the boat. And if we can help steer that because we have visibility into what it is and what it takes to turn that angle, that is massive, but we can't do that based on gut feels and perception. And that's where skill data takes us beneath the surface to, well, no, now we actually know what this is. So I think we're talk about, wait, go for it. No, I was just going to say, I think there's a progression, right? You need to understand skills, not just as this abstract idea that everybody yaps about, but you need to really understand how do people use them? How do teams use them? How do managers use them? How do organizations use them? Mm -hmm. Once you start doing that, you start understanding where you can use this data, right? And yes, you can use it in learning. Yes, you can use it in talent management, but you can use it for a whole bunch of other things too, to manage businesses. Um, once you start understanding the need for that data, though, you also start peeling that onion uh, to, to reference the comment from earlier. There's different kinds of data, you know, some explicit, some implicit. There's some data that looks at what skills we have, or, and there's other data that looks at what skills are, are needed, right? It gets complicated uh, pretty quickly. Yeah. And I think that's where you asked before, sort of where the sort of state of play is right now. I think people have woken up to the the need for data about skills, but are starting to get their heads around this issue, right? Yeah. Where does the data come from? How do we use the data? Mm -hmm. um, and that's starting to expose also lots of questions about the technology and the processes and, the, and all the other downstream things. Well, and let's get into that piece around what, what you know what you found through the research in this. But before we do, the, the last thing I would say on this is on that, and now I completely blanked what I was going to say. So never I'm mind. Sorry, I <laughs> I had a really good one. I had a really good like insight. And then I'm like, nope, I just completely lost it because I saw Gordon's comment come in. So anyway, but let's shift gears over to it because you did this research. And I think the point you brought up, which is a really good one, is there's, oh, I remember what I was going to say. The one thing I would add for people reading this is that, or watching, listening, whatever you're doing to it. But <laughs> one of the things with it is that sometimes we can be really hard on ourselves and go, oh, you know, it's so bad. Why didn't we do this? And But people have wanted to. This isn't like a new concept. But to be fair, technology has unlocked. And that's where I think we say this has changed dramatically in the past few years. So it's not like, oh, back in the day, nobody cared or nobody really knew. You know, we've we've somehow been enlightened. No, it just used to be so, so, so difficult and hard to find this and it was broken up all over and we didn't really have good visibility into it. And I think that's one of the encouraging and exciting parts about technology is, hey, it's not that you were doing the wrong things, it's that technology is now enabling you to do things you were wanting to do, but do it better and more effectively and more efficiently. So with that, I think you have to think about it as progress too, right? Like a little bit of data is better than none. We had same thing about earlier at the beginning of COVID when people were wanting to understand what, what skills they had inside their orgs. We had several clients and not that came and said, hey, we have this spreadsheet. We're really embarrassed. We didn't want to show you, but here's a list of the people that are on my team and some of their like top five skills. That is 80% better than I would argue many organizations have. So to your point about not getting hung up, progress, not perfection. Exactly. Like, let's make little strides in the right direction for understanding what your people are capable of and, and be okay with that as we work towards maybe, of course, yes, a tool is always going to be 
better for streamlining and understanding and integrating with other things so that you get a holistic view of the skills that your people are that have and what they're capable of. But don't be don't be shy about just getting started. It yeah. doesn't have to be perfect. No. And I think that's probably the analysis paralysis kicks in yeah. for a lot of organizations where it's like, well, we're not we're not there yet. That's OK. Nobody is right. Literally nobody is right now. It's about figuring out where can you start and step into this. So exactly. let's let's transition. Gordy, don't don't worry. He apologized for throwing me out. Don't worry about it because your question is actually a good transition. So the, the question that I was reading <laughs> that that threw me, but it's a good one because it transitions to what does the skills say? So there, there, there is, I think, to some degree, a little bit of turf wars and different functions of who owns what data and who has what and do we share data and all of this stuff, which in your research, because I think this is one of the things that comes up a lot is who has the data, who mm -hmm. actually has the skills data, the secret sauce that we're all sitting on. And I think, you know, what did you find as you did this that I think will help address this turf war? Because I think sometimes what happens is people are like, we've got it. Like we've got the right stuff. And it's like, well, maybe you do, maybe you don't, maybe you have one portion of it. I think both in the research and also in the work that we're doing with customers, what we're finding is everybody has a piece of it. Mm -hmm. Nobody has the complete picture, right? So if you think what? about, yeah. <laughs> Todd, I thought you were going to tell us this is the person in your org to talk to. They have the keys to everything. No, but think about it from, it, this is what I was talking about, right? You have to think about this very just sort of logically and systematically, um, because if the data, if it's data, then it's in some kind of technology system, right? So you have to start thinking like the engineers and, you know, that are doing the plumbing and the wiring for these systems. Where does it come from in terms of the employee lifecycle? Well, we have all these systems now that are doing these inferences based on people's public profiles for workforce planning purposes, for um, building talent pools and talent sourcing. But they're basing that data off of what's in people's LinkedIn profiles largely, mm -hmm. right? And there's uh, there was a study from Corn Ferry last year that said something like 30% of people um, either lie or have inaccurate information on their profiles, mostly about their job experience and their skills. Okay. So if that's the data that's feeding those systems, you know, it's partially right, but it's also not complete. Once they get hired or, or, or going through the application process, right, they've got to put their resume in the ATS. ATS parses that. There's some data there, but again, 30 or 40% of people, depending on which survey you look at, lie on their resumes or just have inaccuracies on their resumes. People massage their resumes to get through the screening bots. Um, then they're supposed to start their job and fill out a talent profile. HR executive magazine said something like 75 or 80% of people never finish those profiles. I was going to say that's, that's a very inconsistent source of data. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, then they're supposed to, you know, sometimes people get pre-hire assessments. Most people don't. Um, sometimes people get assessments for hypos programs and things like that. Most people don't get into those performance reviews, you know, if the process captures that data, it's rare. Um, but if it does, it's usually, you know, irregularly. So, you know, throughout the employee life, and, and so now companies are looking at ways to also use the data that they've got, job descriptions and um, documents and things like that, and trying to, an organizational network analysis, trying to figure out what skills people have. But it's the same problem. Those algorithms are getting smarter and smarter all the time, but they're only as good as the data that they're based on. And that, you know, most companies don't have a complete set of job profiles. If they do, the codes are out of date, right? There's all kinds of like stupid little technical issues with all of that stuff. So the systems across the, and, and then by the way, all of those systems don't talk to each other. Even if they're one of these all-in-one HCM systems, the data, like uh, one of the big three, and I, 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 I don't know about all of them, but I know one of the big three has three different places for skills and competency type data. In, it, in the and system it, itself. In the system itself. Mm -hmm. and they don't even talk to each other in that system, Yeah, much less across these systems, right? And so, and then there's all the public data as well. So I think um, the answer is everybody has a little piece of the data. What you're seeing is HR technology teams are the ones sort of being tasked now with figuring it out. And they're mediating these disputes that Gordon was asking about. Okay. Okay. Got it. Well, and I had, I had a conversation, I think a couple, the point you made, and I think this is the one thing that, you know, people kind of tuning in on this need to focus on is the fact that that data, there isn't a universal spot for it. And if you talk to 
And the other point you brought up that's really important in the technology sector is AI and the algorithms are only as good as the data that it's operating off of. And I think sometimes people are looking for that silver bullet, that magic, that magic access database sitting somewhere that has the accurate data. And the reality is it's not there. And, and really the effort that we should be focusing on is how do we get as many disparate data points and bring that together? Because that's actually how we can combat the incompleteness of the data is saying, okay, we've got this from here and that's not a hundred percent accurate, but it's something. Yeah. But let's not make all our decisions just off that. Let's find another one and another one and another one. And the more data points we can start to bring together, is it perfect? No, but we can start to get to that data blueprint or that data, you know, thumbnail DNA of each individual in the organization. Also, though, data is just data without intelligence. Yes. Right. So I think that there's two sides to this coin. Exactly. Like I said the systems. My very first recommendation to clients is invest in APIs, invest in tools that will integrate and play friendly to create an ecosystem. You don't have to suffer with one system that you're pissed off that it doesn't. I'm sorry. I'm like half swearing. Is that allowed? <laughs> um, sorry. This excuse me. If you're angry. No, Sarah, come on. <laughs> You're mad that one system is not doing a functionality it was never meant to do, right? Yeah. Like, so you got to take a step back and, and think, what is it that you're expecting of this system? But thanks to things like APIs, you are able to actually create a best in breed ecosystem. The key there is that it funnels to either a central front door or one central management system that can then for those more advanced companies are able to pair that data with intelligence to give you real meaningful outcomes because just the list of skills isn't great. And again, to our point earlier about progress over perfection, but once you're able to start making inferences and what Degreed calls skill signals to understand like, okay, great, maybe this is something that you're interested in, but that might signal that these other things have happened too and that you might be interested in these other things. All of a sudden you're starting to actually get a skill profile of a person and seeing what they're truly capable of more than just a list, if you will. Yeah. Right. And and that, to me, that's what's exciting about what machine learning can do in this space is the fact that it can actually process this stuff and look for the patterns that yeah. we would not see. Humanly, we could yeah. not see it. We could not process it. We could not detect that stuff. Because one of the questions that came up, and this is going to lead us to the next part of the conversation is, you know, it, there's just things that we can't, there's way too much data and there's way too many patterns to try and find. And, and I think historically that goes back to what we were saying before. We've been trying to do this for a long time. It's not like we haven't cared or this didn't matter. It was just be very difficult and now it's becoming easier. But then that leads to this whole, how are we, how are we measuring this thing? You know, how are we actually, we talked about defining a skill. Well, this is Christopher can do this or Todd can do this or Sarah can do this. But it's one thing to say it, if 40% of people can, you know, completely fabricate a LinkedIn profile, it's one thing to say it and have it in a job description or somewhere else. But then how, how are we actually quantifying or saying, well, we actually know this person is able to do that. For me, that's the biggest piece of things that people miss as part of the L&D or HR organization is the application. That's where I think this all comes together and why we need to change a little bit of the way we think about work. We typically are like full-time job to full-time job, great. That's the end of the story. And that's the reason why you might build those skills or that intrinsic value. But the truth is, to Todd's point earlier, skills are being built all the time. Where rubber hits the road is the practice, the application, the those smaller chunks of time where you can put that to work and into use, which I think we glaze over, to be honest, a lot of times. So how are organizations, because I am curious that what you've seen with clients and things like that, because that is, to me, that's the big, that's the big equation we're still trying to solve in many regards is the fact that, all right, we have better visibility into the words, the descriptions, the the things that we have where people might be filling out profiles and things like that. So it's, it's a start. And to your mm -hmm. point, you can't go, well, till we get it right, we're not going to do any of it. But then the evolution of that is moving to this well, now, how do I actually know that they have these skills, right. and that they're developing these skills and development is bigger than just, yeah, I, I think I'm getting better at this. It's, well, we need to demonstrate that. So how are you seeing clients making that evolution? Like, what are some effective ways 
or how are they using the tech or what are you seeing that's it's actually helping drive that forward? For us, it is exactly that. It's opportunities. Okay. And it's moving away from the idea that the only way you can learn something new or practice something new is to get a new job. It's thinking about it a little bit differently. And we're seeing clients start to do this, right? We're still in early days, I'll be very honest, uh, from what our clients are capable of. But the the more sophisticated ones are thinking about work differently. They're thinking about short-term projects, assignments, mentoring and coaching, um, even just spending time with another person's team for a little while, um, opportunity marketplaces where you can see what's available. Um, shameless self-plug, but this is part of Degreed's Degreed Career Mobility tool that we're helping people make that learning more meaningful by applying it and giving it insights into what that will help you do next. Whether it's another team, whether it's a short-term project, whether, I mean, we do everything. We're getting ready to come up on our big client conference. So we would like some of our staff to come and take notes on the sessions. You put the opportunity in, you're matched by skills to see how many of the skills you have, and then you can show interest in it. So for us, it's through that. It's thinking about work as a collection of opportunities, a mosaic, instead of just simply that upwards ladder. Your question, Christopher, was about how do we know whether or not people have those skills? Well, I think it's that evolution of how are people making that transition from it. And, and again, Sarah, there's I don't think there's any reason to say it's a shameless plug for a degree career mobility, because in the sense, that's why we're doing all this stuff. Like that truly is the natural evolution of this is saying, yeah, it's one thing if we have, you know, data points coming in from resumes and job profiles and things like that. That's a start. And then we can grow and evolve to, okay, now people might be consuming content. They may be developing, they may be learning new things, acquiring new knowledge, but that all has to build towards something. And what Mm -hmm. that should be building towards is, well, what are you doing with that? Like, what are you doing? What experiences are you having? How are you, how are you collaborating? How are you getting work done differently than you were before? So that we can start to measure that to actually get to the skill DNA of it's not just what you think you are, it's what you actually are capable of doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think there's a great, like, perfect answer to that question. I think there's also, a, a, you know, again, a spectrum of solutions. You have some very specific um, assessment tools that have been developed in, you know, for very narrow use cases that can do a pretty good, accurate job of those kinds of things. And then at the other end of the spectrum, you have a bunch of sort of weak signals of things people might be able to do, but you don't know for sure. And then along the spectrum, there's a whole bunch of other sort of, you know, bits and pieces that that can complete the picture. Um, and we're seeing our clients right now just, you know, sort of trying to figure out what is their approach to um, connecting all those dots to get that complete picture. So you're saying there's not, we can't give viewers a nice universal answer of this is the thing that everybody should just go do or, or, you know, the, the top three things they can do to, to just fix the problem. Come on, Todd. <laughs> no, it's, it's a fair point. It's a fair point. Cause I think this is right. That's the natural tendency. And I think that's what people want is they want to get to this point of like, but just tell me the the platform I can get or the three things that I can do that are going to solve this for me. And the answer to that is it's not. This is the hard, complicated work that we have ahead of us is there is nuance. There are different things we're going to experiment with to get where we need to go. I think it's exciting and fun. I think sometimes, yes, it can feel overwhelming, but I think that is the exciting part about the work we do. Yeah, I think the thing to keep in mind, you said it before, is in the context of sort of being kinder to ourselves, but like we're in the bottom of the first inning here. Um, This stuff (laughs) didn't exist until two years ago. And for the most part, and now all kinds of new things are possible every month. Mm -hmm. And there's different places you can get the data. There's different tools that are useful for doing different things. Our tool, you know, uses that data mostly in the context of learning and careers. I know you had the guys from TechWolf on a few weeks ago, and their tool is mostly focused on strategic workforce planning. There's all kinds of applications for this data. And the right answer for the data you need depends on what you want to use it for and where it's coming Mm -hmm. from, right? But people are just getting their heads around this stuff right now. And um, there's a lot of things that need to change, not just the technology, the people, the processes, everything. Mm-hmm. Well, and that gets to your point of, so, so so we do have some good news then, right? There is there is some actionable things, which the good news is, one, 
you know, starting with that piece of, we, we say it a lot, but I think sometimes it's easy to forget. What are you trying to, what are you trying to do with this? Because that is going to help define your strategy of what are we actually trying to get out of here? What do we want to know about our workforce? Where are we trying to go as a business so that we can prioritize? Because the reality is you can pretty easily get spun up in this stuff and go, I don't even... <laughs> And Chris, just yeah. to add, sorry, the one of the, where we see our Hold clients have the most me, success, so <laughs> we're like, hey, this is our show too. Um, when we get to our clients that are the most successful, it's hard to prioritize, yes. right? Any leader today is looking at a laundry list of things that they need to do right now, yesterday. Our clients that are the most successful are tying those initiatives back to business goals. And that's what I've been saying, you know, for a while now too. a bunch of our leadership too, Janice Kelly have all said the first place to start is understanding what it is that your business is trying to achieve and starting to map things to that. That's how you're going to get buy-in. That's how you're going to be most effective. And that's how you should help prioritize yourself is looking at what that is and matching how you can get there. It's the easiest way when you're looking at a big list to prioritize again, with the seat at the table, again, have being seen as a, being an impact driver is making sure that you're supporting where the business is trying to go. Yeah. Well, so with that one, and, and I, I think it's a, it, that was totally worth interrupting me for, by the <laughs> way, it, it was, because I think this is one of the biggest things that making it actionable and saying, so, so I watched this, I was inspired by skills. I want to do more or go places with it rather than just running around and going, you know, all right, skills, is to that point, we'll start there. That mm -hmm. is what will not only make you successful in the long term, but actually have a big impact along the way. Yep. So the other, the other, another question I have, we're, I, I told you we we're going to run way out of time. We're not even going to get into like the ethics and all this stuff that, that would have been, that'd be a whole nother, but were there any interesting, really interesting things that came out of this data that you, that you did with the skills report, anything that you went, whoa, that was an interesting insight or that was something we didn't necessarily expect or ones that came out that went, everybody should really know this. I mean, I know we've hit on kind of the diversity of where the data sits, the, you know, some of these other points, but were there any other things? I think there's a good one that uh, along the lines of what you just described, right? Counter to conventional wisdom. One of the questions that we get asked um, and our teams get asked a lot is what skills should our organization be building? as if there is a common answer there. And where do we focus, right? If I could only build two skills, what would they be? And the answer is, it depends, right? It depends on who you are, where you work, what's going on, what your business is trying to accomplish. There is not an answer. Um, so that was one of the things that we confirmed that we, you know, it was a hypothesis we wanted to test. No, but Todd, just to add, sorry. Yeah. We did see, though, that there was no skills, but there was a variety. It wasn't just we assume sometimes that it's, oh, go build AI, go build data science, go build whatever. But the truth is the data showed us that it's a balance, that it's important to have cognitive and technological based skills, both, not yeah. to just look at one or the other. Sorry. Yeah. And so, you know, everybody needs some tech skills. Everybody needs mm -hmm. some skills. Everybody, yes. you know, it's, it, the balance depends on what, what roles you're in. The other thing that was really... Um, I, some of it wasn't, it was things we expected and we sort of were able to quantify. Okay. Um, one of the things that we hear a lot is sort of help us make the business case, right? Why, how do we get other people to make, to, to care about this stuff? And so we were able to quantify, I think, some of the impact of not having the right skills on the individuals as well okay. as the sort of business impacts. So at the individual level, you know, it's adding to stress. It's adding to mental health um, okay. Stress. So you're able to tie some of those correlations to, hey, here's the actual impact of this stuff. Yeah, and you can see really interesting differences by role, by country, by um, uh, by industry in there. Mm -hmm. um, so there's some anomalies that are are pretty fascinating. The other thing is, you know, there are legitimate business risks here, right? People are saying, and this confirms what what I mentioned before about that PwC report, but people are saying that when they don't have the right skills, the quality of their work suffers. Not a big surprise, right? The um, the their productivity suffers because mm -hmm. they take longer to get things done. Um, there's also retention risks because companies um, by necessity have had to peel back on a lot of stuff and people aren't getting the sort of uh, the upskilling they think they need to, to be relevant when the economy recovers. And so there's a bunch of things like that that I think are, are practically useful for sort of building business cases that are in the research. Okay. 
Okay. So, it, and Sarah, the, the point you kind of jumped in on with Todd there that I think is, well, there weren't, well, there weren't, hey, these are the two skills that every organization should run out and invest in. There was a common theme of it's, it is a bit of a balancing around mm -hmm. technical skills yep. and those, uh, whatever, power skills, human, human skills. Yeah. Skills. Like it's, it's a, it's a balancing act. It's, it's never just, Oh, dump this and, and only go here. It is that kind of blend. So that seems to be one and one that you hinted at, but I, I think would be fair if I'm, if I'm reading it right. And my assessment of the report is the need to, regardless of where people are and what they're doing, their level of digital acumen and understanding the technology is rising. It, it, yeah. It's so, and that's less of a, Hey, go get this skill. It's more of whenever you're looking at any of these skills, make sure you're looking at it through the lens of how are we increasing their knowledge and capability of doing whatever that skill is technically, because that's changed. I mean, I just even think COVID the whole virtual thing, you think of communication, mm -hmm. communication is still at the top of the list, but the application mm -hmm. of how to communicate and collaboration for many people, that is a brand new skill or a brand new application of a skill that they maybe did. They were maybe okay at it, maybe decent. And suddenly they just fell to the bottom of the charts because they don't know how to do it digitally. But I also think humans, like let's not forget the human element, we've, which we've been talking about today too. Like who are the people that are driving your mission? It's your people. And so I think what we saw across, we had a bunch of industries, like Todd said, jobs, industries, locations, Across those, we had the top nine skills for each of those. Okay. They varied by all of those different breakdown categories, but by and large, they were a, a balance of those things. We saw things like negotiation, communication, critical thinking right up there with AI, machine learning, um, okay. data science, because, and it's my own personal belief, but I think it's because when we think about bringing our best self right now in fear about what the future holds, none of us know what the next pandemic is going to look like, what the next disruption is that companies are going to have to overcome. When you think about where you focus, not only to your point for the job that you have now, but for how can I be ready, it's being well-rounded. So that's why I believe we're seeing the rise in communication, cr critical thinking, whatever it might be, because those are skills that transfer no matter what role you're in, yeah. no matter what job, industry, whatever, being a critical thinker, being a you know good communicator, that's going to help you no matter what role that you have. And so I love to see actually that human element being more brought to the forefront as okay. we think about where to build. Okay. Well, and that goes back to the balancing priorities for organizations mm -hmm. to say, don't, don't put all your chips, don't bet all your chips in one area because the data is showing there, there isn't, there's not the magic unicorn bet that you can make that's going to fix it. It's, but it's also half-life of skills is decreasing. So yeah. how you put all your skills in the AI basket, the next tools right around the corner. So all of a sudden you've invested all this time and money, which is important, right? Foundationally, you should be dangerous in a handful of those things. But putting all your eggs in that basket is going to time you out both financially and quickly as the next new popular hot thing comes up. Okay. Were you going to say something that I was about to say? <laughs> no, he's just nodding in agreeing. Cause that, that's, I, I, I don't want to derail you again. Well, I think sometimes because we're going to run out of time, but I think that's that's a that's a very good point to maybe kind of conclude on with this. And if you haven't checked out the report, I'll put it in the link so you can check it out because it is it, it's a very valuable report in this sense. But I think that point that you made, which is we can't underestimate the effort that goes into upskilling people. It's work. It's work for us. It's work for the employees. It's work for the workforce. It's all these things. And so to your point if you're just going all in on one thing that's not a sustain, you, you may be betting everything and you're going to lose the farm because two years from now, that was a complete waste. And just when you get to the starting line, turns out you didn't need it anyway because we were, we're done with that. that. That went the way or it's now been fully automated, so we don't need it. So again, I guess that could be discouraging. But I think it's also one of the reasons why this data is so important is to help inform your decisions and help you make those strategic balanced decisions. Okay, well, we could keep going, but I'm not going to because we're, 
we're going to run out of time and other people I'm sure have other things to do, but we'll, we'll continue the conversation. Um, thank you both Sarah and Todd for being here. This was a blast as always. Uh, everybody who's been watching and listening after the fact, I hope you get something valuable out of it. You should, um, cause there was lots here to unpack and, uh, we will be back next week. Uh, we've got a doubleheader and actually, I've got some former degreed people on Tuesday. David and Taylor Blake are joining me. So mm. we're gonna be here and uh, we're going to be talking about learning. So anyway, thank you both for being here. Thanks everybody for watching. Have a wonderful rest of your Friday. Get out and enjoy the weather, hopefully, if you can. And we will see you next week. Thanks, y'all. Thanks, everybody.